Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show with uh, uh, a, a great friend, a great mentor, uh, and uh, a, a great American. Um, uh, she is Captain Gail Harris, uh, the first female captain of the U.S. Navy, and I'm honored to uh, uh, have her back on the show. And uh, how are you, my friend? Oh, yeah, I'm doing great. How are you, Philippe? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. Well, you know how the uh, uh, always uh, kind of joking kid when we have our regular uh, uh, monthly phone powwows and we talk about everything under the sun. Uh, and I said, well, hell, we might as well start recording some of these conversations. Because, <laughs> 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 because uh, they're, they're so good and, and, and your, your points are, are so valid and valuable. Uh, I've got a lot to talk to you about because there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, isn't it? Oh, as always. I think one of the main differences I've noticed since I retired is that there's always a lot of stuff going on in the world, but it's only in recent years that the media started covering it to the extent that it has been. Ah, that's a good point. That is a good point. Yeah, with all the technology nowadays, it's just kind of a, a, a never-ending stream or streams, plural, uh, of information. Exactly. I was thinking uh, one time during the Cold War, it's like 1988, and I was stationed in Hawaii, and the Soviets were conducting uh, a missile test of one of their books with missiles, and the warheads, you know, uh, came down. They were unarmed. They came down about 600 miles from Hawaii, and that was one time when it did make it to the press, and you know, the Hawaiian press, and the U.S. press. Oh, what's going on? Ah, ah, ah. And I remember returning to a cold worker going, don't people realize we're in the midst of a cold war with the Soviet Union that at any moment can go hot? And I think on the one hand, it probably gives a level of comfort and security to the public to not have to know every single blow of every single crisis. But on the other hand, since it is uh, a government of the people and by the people, they need to have a better understanding of what, the Pentagon is doing with their budget. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I think that's maybe where we should start. Um, uh, you know, the the economy uh, has wreaked havoc, uh, the American economy has wreaked havoc uh, on the world uh, economy. Yes, it uh, has. And um, it, it, um, there's an argument, obviously, that uh, it started uh, with the uh, Bush administration uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, uh, came over to the Obama administration. Uh, he's now being blamed and held accountable for not making any significant changes uh, uh, in his administration uh, with the economy. What is your take on that? 
Well, my take is, uh, you know, if you take a look at the bottom line, when Clinton was president, he balanced the budget. The economy was booming. And when President Bush was president, uh, it started to fall so that by 2008, you know, we started with that recession. And right now the economy is slowly starting to improve, but a major threat to that is the gridlock in Washington, D.C. over the budget, you know, the sequestration, which I can barely say. Uh, And my take on it is that both Congress and President Obama are at fault. You know, the Congress uh, seems to be the opposition. These uh, very, very conservative right-wing Republicans and some Democrats that are unwilling to compromise and are willing to let the government fail because they don't want to do compromise and work with President Obama. And some people, one of my neighbors who happens to be white, and he's he's not the only person who thinks like this, said, well, the problem is we have a bunch of racists who don't like it that there's a black president and Muhammad, Muhammad, Muhammad. And my response to him was, well, of course. I said, but, you know, using my own example, I said every day of my 28-year career, there were people that hated my guts. And probably would have liked to have seen me at a minimum have my career ruined and maybe even drop dead. They so disliked me because I was a woman or because I was black. I'm not a mind reader, so I don't know why. I only know I'm only referring to people, not that I may have knowingly offended, but who were so offended by what I represented. But mm-hmm. yet, my father gave me the best piece of advice when I called up during my first job, whining, Daddy, they don't like me because I'm a girl. Oh, 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 oh. And, you know, he told me to suck it up. You know, if I couldn't stand the heat, you know, the old get out the frying pan. He said if someone had a problem with me because of my race or my sex, that was their problem and don't make it mine. And the way I look at it, President Obama and his team need to have the skill set, which apparently they don't, to work with Congress in spite of the extreme views of some of those people. And it's, okay. a, it's a failure of his leadership, and it's also a failure of the congressional leadership. And the bottom line there is I think that the majority of Americans realize, that despite their political views, that uh, their candidates, that people they voted for, will not be able to get 100% of their agenda. But I also believe, by the same token, the majority of Americans know that they're going to have to make some degree of compromise and most certainly not bring the government uh, budget and the economy to the brink of destruction. Mm, mm-hmm. So so that, that's an interesting point. So with with that being said, do you think Obama um, is ineffective uh, in being able to reach across the aisle uh, because he's black or do you think it's because he, uh, uh, as he has been accused of uh, when he was uh, a, a candidate, uh, of, of kind of being an elitist uh, and has a sense of arrogance that uh, you you have to come to me first, or uh, or is it a combination of both, racism and uh, uh, elitism? I think the racism comes in, you know, for a handful of key people that don't want to work with. You know, Rush Limbaugh said he wanted to fail, and the Republicans' leadership said that their number one 
agenda during his first administration was to make sure he failed. The number one agenda should have been the American people and making sure Mm -hmm. we get out of the recession and the economy blooms. So that is a problem. That's a mindset. But I think the problem where President Obama comes in, and that's one of the reasons why he was not my candidate for president, you know, the first time he ran. I voted for him, but he was not my preferred Democratic nominee. And the reason being is experience level, because if you don't know how to go into those smoke-filled rooms and build uh, alliances with members of the opposition and also members of your own party, you cannot get anything done. You know, from my own time of working in the government and the neighbor I was telling that I talked to, he said, well, well, Gail, you, you worked in the defense side. I worked in the defense department. But what I learned uh, during my time on active duty was I had to learn how to reach across organizations. I had to learn how to build alliances. Uh, when President Johnson was president, he had a rule that the people who worked for him at least once a week had to reach across the aisle, go to lunch, go to dinner with someone of the different party. So mm-hmm. if you can build up a friendship and a working relationship with people when things are, are normal and going well, then you can that relationship will serve you well when there's a crisis. It doesn't mean that both sides will always agree, but it does mean that you can make a compromise. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I think that he and his staff, many of whom apparently also don't have much experience with how to negotiate and how to reach across the aisle and work with people who may not think as you do, uh, that's why he's ineffective. You know, when was it, I think about two weeks ago, that his charm offensive? And all the time as we were coming up to this first, this most recent deadline, he hadn't picked up the phone or his other people. And I don't know, they're, they're saying that President Obama hadn't tried, but I don't know how much uh, the people who worked for him had tried. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's not very much. And that is why I do not believe that inexperienced people should be allowed to run for president. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I believe there needs to be some kind of rule where if you're going to run for president, then you need to have served, like say, let's say, for instance, at least 12 years in Congress or as governor. You cannot just walk in from being a community organizer. Now, there right now, the, some people would say, well, there's a problem there because one of the things that he ran on in terms of his platform is, is, is basically change. And so you don't want to uh, have somebody who is already part of the status quo going in. Um, what is your take on that? Because I agree with what you're saying. There's a level of experience, but then also there's also an indoctrination as a result from that experience. Well, if you are, if you maintain your integrity and your core values, it doesn't matter if you're part of the organization. But what it does mean is that you know how to get things done. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. I found, you know, I'm probably, I'm politically I'm an independent. And if you talk to me, my views are probably more liberal socially and more conservative for national security. And mm-hmm. my core values, I was able to get along very well. Like I said, there are some people, if I had a dollar, you might say, what do you mean some people hated you or disliked you? How do you know that? Well, I know that because their wives told me. 
Mm-hmm. And I'd be at a social occasion, and a wife would come up to me and say, Gail, now don't tell my husband I told you, but when he heard that you were going to be part of the organization, he came home ranting and raving. He hated your guts, but now he thinks the world of you. Mm. And that's because I reached across the aisle. And I'm telling you, if I had a dollar for every wife who came up and told me that, I'd be quite wealthy. And wow. so it's the same thing as the first African-American president and it would be the same if it was the first female president or the first Hispanic president. People forget the hassle that JFK had being the first Catholic president. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I remember that, particularly when he was running for president. It was a major issue. It wasn't, I don't remember it being as much once he got into office. Um, but that's what I'm talking about. You know, you, you have to, and if you can't do it, and the one good thing by leadership is you have to take a good evaluation of what your strengths and weaknesses are. And if you have a weakness in a certain area, then you delegate that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it would seem to me, and and I don't know, maybe he does, but he would President Obama, in order to succeed in his second term and come out on top with his budget issues, he needs to have a right arm who is very knowledgeable and very well respected in the Congress to get things done. Mm. That doesn't look like that will be happening anytime uh, within, within the time frame that he has uh, 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 at his job. Exactly. You know, what oftentimes happens if a president can't get along with Congress, one area that he can control, and President Truman was an example of this, he can have uh, – an effect on uh, national security policy and foreign affairs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has far more independence of Congress in those areas than in, say, the domestic uh, budget. I want to go back for a minute. Uh, you had mentioned, uh, uh, we both had mentioned uh, about the Republican Party, uh, but you had mentioned that the Republican Party's number one agenda was to uh, not have Obama successful in his first term and not to be reelected uh, uh, in his second for a second time, right. um, what, I, what, I, what I want to kind of hone in on with you, Gail, is it really seemed to have a massive, uh, that strategy seemed to have a massive backlash uh, with the American public. And uh, people began to leave, uh, the, if not leave the Republican Party, they definitely voted uh, differently. Uh, as a Republican, uh, and do you think this is something in terms of their agenda that is going to affect uh, the next presidential run? Well, I think so. I think that, by and large, uh, that the majority of Americans of voting age are moderate on a political spectrum. Mm -hmm. And, by and large, uh, the the majority of Americans are not uh, as caught up of race, you know, the race of the president. And even now, I think the sex of the president, the fact that Hillary Clinton was able to get 18 million votes during the Democratic primary, 18 million swings toward that glass ceiling. So I think that the old Republican establishment was out of touch with uh, primarily the young people, uh, the young voters, and the women voters. And Mm -hmm. also... I think the elderly, you know, people who are on Social Security, I'm on Social Security uh, in addition to my military retirement. And Social Security, the budget for that, 
it's not part, you know, it's in a separate pot. Uh, it, 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 it is not uh, causing uh, the budget problem. It's a whole separate pot of money. And, you know, I'm not an expert in that, but even Ronald Reagan, you know, gave a good speech. He was quite annoyed that some people thought it was contributing to the American debt. Um, so, um, you know, that's, that's my well, that's what you're saying is what you're saying is huge. What you're saying is uh, the Republicans don't have uh, a chance of hell uh, four well, years from now. Well, but based upon that so. change, Gail, they wouldn't be called Republicans, would they? I mean, I mean, we're down to changing the entire scope of the organization. At, at, at some point, what is what does it mean to be Republican if you are losing? Uh, the uh, 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 young vote, the women vote, and the elderly vote. What's left? And, and I forgot the Hispanic vote. Which is and the Hispanic vote. Oh my God. Okay, so we're really talking about uh, white collar uh, white guys, uh, basically. That's it. Yeah, but remember, the Republicans started out as a party of Lincoln, and there was a major group that joined the Republican Party during the Civil Rights Movement, uh, you know, when Lyndon Johnson pushed through the Civil Rights legislation, the uh, Democrats, the Southern uh, segregationists, moved over to the Republican Party. Well, so that's we had, interesting, and I understand that, but, you know, the, do you think that the Republicans will be able to turn their brand around and enable trust from those that look at them as traitors of of, of their values. Oh, I think so. <clears throat> I I think that they will if they want to. First, That's they have optimistic. to realize. <laughs> yeah, first, first they have to realize that there's a problem, and some it's it's you know some of the like Senator Lindsey Graham and whatnot are starting uh, the the governor of Louisiana, uh, Bobby Jindal. Uh, some of the more moderate Republicans are trying to uh, contribute to a new brand. But what's going to happen is I think they're almost going to have to disassociate themselves with the conservative wing of their party. And I'm not talking mm -hmm. about a traditional conservative. I'm talking about the extreme conservative right wing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're talking about like level Tea party conservative, uh, 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 that exactly. level. Yeah. Exactly. Because just because somebody's conservative, uh, the traditional old-fashioned conservative uh, Republican doesn't mean, uh, you know, that they're anti so much. The, the Republican, current Republican direction is seen as being anti-everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure, sure. So, okay, so that makes us a good argument. I'd love to stay on it, but we got so much to cover with you. That's just... That's, <laughs> We we should just dedicate a 24-hour news station just for you. <laughs> I've got to look into that. We might be able to make that happen. Let me see. What... <laughs> so so let's talk about uh, some, some other real issues. North Korea is acting a damn fool right now, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, and the threats are looking quite serious. Now, uh, you know, originally they were talking about uh, uh, sending a nuclear strike to America, of course, we were looking and saying, well, you know, by the time they...
Okay, and we're back, ladies and gentlemen. We had a little brief interruption. We were talking about some heavy stuff, so I'm sure there might be a drone strike that uh, will be coming down on me any moment. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure the Pentagon said, oh, no, you guys are not going to have this conversation, not on our time. Hell no. Uh, not, with, not with one of ours. Oh, no, no, no. So uh, sorry about the disconnection. Uh, but we were talking about <laughs> North Korea, and you were talking about the history. We had, that this is, you know, This goes back quite a ways. Uh, so, so continue on again what you were saying about North Korea. Right. You know, uh, let's see, during, in 1988, I was pulled out of Hawaii a year and a half early uh, mm-hmm. to go to uh, Korea and head up the intelligence support for the 1988 Olympics. My official job was chief of indications and warning, and in civilian mm. terms, I was responsible for keeping both South Korea and the United States up on what North Korea was doing and warned them if they were planning an attack. Mm, okay. And the thing is, until you go there, you don't realize how tense the situation was. So this is not a new thing. What is new is, like I said, you got a new leader, so we have to get a handle on what he will or will not do, and, and that evaluation is going on now. And, and then the uh, other thing is, that North Korea does not need nuclear weapons to inflict uh, severe econ- severe damage, economic and, and otherwise, on South Korea and on the United States. Uh, the weapons he's developing, like, for instance, uh, Seoul, the capital of South Korea, is within artillery range of uh, North Korean weapons. And they have a history of building a lot of tunnels between the two countries uh, I mean, tunnels big enough to drive trucks through, filled with troops. So they don't mm. have to use nuclear weapons, and they're also doing uh, computer cyber attacks on South Korean banks and things like that. So they don't wow. have to resort to nuclear weapons to do a great deal of damage. And, and, and uh, up until now, uh, one of the reasons North Korea probably has not used uh, nuclear weapons, now they've done things like sink a South Korean uh, destroyer, you know, a bunch of artillery fire on, you know, mm-hmm. islands and killing South Koreans and whatnot. But one of the reasons that up until now they've not used nuclear weapons is because if they do, they'll only get one shot, and after that there will be no North Korea. Mm, wow, wow, that's very powerful, well said. Uh, and I don't think people really uh, get what that means. Uh, that's, you know, pretty much wiping a... Uh, uh, a country uh, off the map. Exactly. And so the the need, leader would have to be pretty crazed to want to bring that on his own population. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more, uh, Gail, because, you know, we're also looking at Iran uh, and uh, 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 Mahmoud Ahmadinejad uh, it has somewhat of the same agenda, uh, which obviously would create the same situation where we would have to take out a uh, entire uh, 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 country, um, which of course has never really been done before at, at you know in our time at that scale. Uh, what what is this? Is this kind of just like you know uh, uh, pulling you know pulling the piggy tail, the ponytail of, of of America, just kind of teasing us, uh, or is this really a real real threat? What's the likelihood of this really happening? Well, it's it's a real threat, and I personally think. Uh, that Iran, you know, that it, no one can stop them from developing the weapon unless, even if they uh, say they want to bomb the facilities, 
you can't guarantee that you know what 100% certainty exactly where the Iranian nuclear production is. Well, that kind of goes along into what you, uh, your most of your entire career was, and that was in intelligence. You were exactly. intelligence gatherer. You were intelligence gatherer for the Navy. In fact, you saved uh, and thwarted off an actual attempt of the assassin- assassination of President Bush uh, going to I don't know if it was Saudi Arabia or Iraq. Was that right? Well, yeah, it was. Uh, well, one of the, we one of the time many times that we did combat ops over Iraq was in reaction to. Uh, uh, an attempt on President, the first President Bush's life. I was just one of many intelligence analysts working that. That's one thing, like on the intelligence community, it truly is a team effort. So, you know, everybody working, uh, those of us that support military operations, and that was my uh, specialty, you know, you're mostly working on uh, letting our forces know what the bad guy, where they are, what they have mm-hmm. and hurt them in making suggestions on how to counter what they're doing. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's kind of what I did. Uh, so how is it different then as it is now? Is it better, worse? You know, uh, you know it's probably about the same. The intelligence support uh, or the intelligence community uh, was never as bad as what the general public said after 9-11. You know, somebody uh, said, it, you know, was that an intelligence failure? And I always say yes. It was an intelligence failure, but not the way most people think. You know, I've mentioned mm. to you before about the huge amount of information the intelligence community collects. And the problem, as I remember, is uh, and I, that I, in 2007, the intelligence community had a conference. It was unclassified. It was aimed toward industry and academia. And one of the higher-ups uh, got up and he talked about out of all the intelligence that the intelligence co- community Okay, and we're back, ladies and gentlemen. We had a little brief interruption. We were talking about some heavy stuff, so I'm sure there might be a drone strike that uh, will be coming down on me any moment. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure the Pentagon said, oh, no, you guys are not going to have this conversation, not on our time. Hell no. Uh, not, with, not with one of ours. Oh, no, no, no. So uh, sorry about the disconnection. Uh, but we were talking about <laughs> North Korea, and you were talking about the history. We had, that this, is, you know, this goes back quite a ways. Uh, so, so continue on again what you were saying about North Korea. Right. You know, uh, let's see, during, in 1988, I was pulled out of Hawaii a year and a half early uh, mm-hmm. to go to uh, Korea and head up the intelligence support for the 1988 Olympics. My official job was chief of indications and warning, and in civilian mm. terms, I was responsible for keeping both South Korea and the United States up on what North Korea was doing and warned them if they were planning an attack. Mm, okay. And the thing is, until you go there, you don't realize how tense the situation was. So this is not a new thing. What is new is, like I said, you got a new leader, so we have to get a handle on what he will or will not do, and, and that evaluation is going on now. And, and then the uh, other thing is, that North Korea does not need nuclear weapons to inflict uh, severe econ- severe damage, economic and, and otherwise, on South Korea and on the United States. Uh, the weapons he's developing, like, for instance, uh, Seoul, the capital of South Korea, is within artillery range of uh, North Korean weapons. 
and they have a history of building a lot of tunnels between the two countries. Uh, I mean, tunnels big enough to drive trucks through, filled with troops. So they don't mm. have to use nuclear weapons, and they're also doing uh, computer cyber attacks on South Korean banks and things like that. So they don't wow. have to resort to nuclear weapons to do a great deal of damage. And, in, and uh, up until now, uh, one of the reasons North Korea probably has not used uh, nuclear weapons, now they've done things like sink a South Korean uh, destroyer, you know, a bunch of artillery fire on, you know, mm-hmm. islands, and killing South Koreans and whatnot. But one of the reasons that up until now they've not used nuclear weapons is because if they do, they'll only get one shot, and after that there will be no North Korea. Mm, wow, wow, that's very powerful, well said. Uh, and I don't think people really uh, get what that means. Uh, that's, you know, pretty much wiping a, uh, uh, a country uh, off the map. Exactly. And so the, the need, leader would have to be pretty crazed to want to bring that on his own population. <laughs> 